Welcome to the Soul Fit Labs podcast with your hosts, Stephen Haar and Laura Lucas. We're here to guide you on your fitness journey, educate you in the process, and turn your passion into purposeful action. Whether you've never stepped into a gym or if you've made fitness into a career of your own, this podcast will be your go-to stop for all things health and fitness. Here, we give you actionable steps and pro tips on how to lose weight, effectively train your body, improve your energy, sleep quality, and mental focus. We created this podcast to give you free access to some of our personalized health coaching, bodybuilding, and weight loss courses, where we use a holistic approach to sculpt your body, feed your soul, and upgrade your mindset. So stick with us if you're ready to become a master on health and fitness with Laura, myself, and some of the best industry leaders we know. Welcome back to the Soul Fit Labs podcast. This is Laura, and I'm giving the intro today. So uh, today's a very exciting topic. We are going to talk all about weight gain and why we gain weight and why we regain weight and what is the actual mechanism for weight gain. Um, there's a lot of confusion out there as, you know, what's the best diet, what's the best macronutrient range, and what actually causes weight gain, and um, how do we lose weight. So I recently read this book by Dr. Jason Fung called The Obesity Code, and I I was like, my mind was blown. There was so much research and so many new ideas in this book on why it is that we actually gain weight that I just had to come on here and talk about it. I've always been someone that like knew that insulin was related to weight gain. I knew insulin was related to type two diabetes and that we don't want to have too much insulin in the body. And we don't want to have, you know, we don't want to be on that blood sugar roller coaster. And I understood that, but I really never understood the depth and the actual causal relationship between insulin insulin and obesity. Yeah. And I actually never realized that this was something that the regular person should be concerned about too. So Mm -hmm. whether or not you have any form of diabetes or pre-diabetes, if that's not you, then don't click pause just yet because this definitely applies to us all. Yeah. And even if you don't have diabetes right now, you probably know someone very likely have a close friend or relative who suffers from being diabetic or pre-diabetic because the stats are recurrently one out of 10 Americans are diabetic. And even more alarmingly, the stats say that in for kids born after 2020, no, sorry, not 2020, we're in 2020. For kids born after the year 2000 and something, the rates show that Studies show that one out of three people will develop diabetes at some point in their life. I think it was 2010, if I remember. Yeah, that makes sense. All I know is that one out of three, you know, within like my generation, that's scary. In other words, that's probably you. That's (laughs) one out of three. Um, Hopefully not. But yeah, it's, it's alarming what's going on with, with obesity and diabetes and how those things keep rising despite our constant attempts to diet and eat more healthy and do more exercise. I think that exercise and dieting is a bigger topic now, a bigger, more profitable industry than ever before. And yet we haven't gotten a hold of diabetes and the problem of obesity. Yeah. You think with all of the money and time that we're pouring into our own health and 
like Laura said, with all the different diets that we've tried over the years mm-hmm. and highlighted over the years, that we would be at least headed in the right direction, that mm-hmm. the scale wouldn't be going up. Mm-hmm. But in fact, the opposite's happening. So why yeah, is that? Exactly. Why is that? Why is that? And that's exactly what this author and doctor, Dr. Jason Fung, goes over. He says, you know, we've spent so much money and time trying to trying to help people lose weight through all these different fancy diets, through low carb, through low fat, through low calorie, through high exercise. And yet, why is it that nothing seems to be working for the long term for the majority of people? And that's where he says, okay, we need to stop looking at things that are linked to obesity and start looking at the cause of obesity, right? Because if we keep treating the the symptoms and the things that you know might help with reducing weight, we're not actually going to solve the issue until we know what the cause is. And in this book, um, The Obesity Code, he tells us that really the secret to controlling your weight is insulin. It's, it's how much insulin you produce, how sensitive your body is to insulin, and, and overall your levels of insulin determining your body's set weight point. Yeah. So... I think we're going to start just by talking about what insulin is, right? Yes, let's do it. What is insulin, Stephen? What is insulin? So insulin is a storage hormone that is basically responsible for lowering the body's blood sugar whenever it spikes. Now, mm-hmm. your pancreas is the organ that releases insulin, but our blood sugar sort of rises and falls most commonly in accordance with the food that we eat. So you eat a meal, your blood sugar rises, insulin's released, and the sugar in our blood is then driven into the cells of the body to be stored for later or to be burned as energy to fuel the activities that are currently going on. Perfect. And to put that simply, the role of insulin is to regulate blood sugar. All right. So if blood sugar is too high, insulin is going to be released and it's going to bring the blood sugar back down. So um, insulin is necessary for sustaining life. If we didn't have insulin, we would die because we would never get nutrients to our cells. We would never get nutrients to our liver, and we would we wouldn't have any source of energy if we weren't able to absorb the sugar in the blood, which is what insulin does. So um, there's there's really two problems when it comes to insulin. One is the problem of not producing enough, and one is the problem, and the other problem is producing too much. And this is exactly what we see with type one diabetes and type two diabetes. So most of the time, when we're um, you know referencing the the rate of diabetes and like the the what do you call this the issue that it's caused the, yeah not the incidence but like the epidemic I guess <laughs> the, yeah so the the problem with the diabetes is the type two diabetes, which we develop through lifestyle and diet, not necessarily through um, genetics and um, what type one diabetes is, is basically you're born with the condition that your body cannot produce insulin or it attacks itself and it, it destroys the hormone insulin. So therefore you can never have insulin in your system naturally. So a type one diabetic, they're born with diabetes and they const- they have to have insulin injected, an artificial and external source of insulin. And it's not the problem of the receptors, but just the hormone insulin itself. So those people, um, you'll know if you've known anyone with type one diabetes, I used to have a friend on my cross country team, shout out Elizabeth, who was like the skinniest person 
ever. She was so thin. And when I heard that she had diabetes, I was so confused because I was like, wait, what? How, how do you have diabetes? And she's like, well, I have type one diabetes. And back then in high school, I was like, I have no idea what that means. All I know is that my grandma is huge and she's got diabetes (laughs) and you look nothing like her. But type one basically means you can't produce insulin. You have to take it externally. And if you don't have insulin in your system, no matter how much you eat, you guys, doesn't matter how much you eat you're never going to gain weight. Your body will never be able to take the sugar in your blood and put it to your muscle and your fat and your liver. It'll literally just pee it out. Yeah, that's another thing too. Not only will you not be able to gain weight in the form of fat, but you also won't be able to build muscle properly. Mm -hmm. So insulin is a storage hormone of all kinds. It regulates your body fat levels and it's incredibly, um, incredibly important for muscle protein synthesis. Yeah. And if you didn't have insulin, you would just waste away until you died. Literally, you would never be able to put on any weight and that is not a healthy situation. Um, then we have the other issue, which is the more exciting part of today's talk is the type two diabetes and the reason why insulin and diabetes are associated with obesity. Mm -hmm. And that is the condition of having too much insulin in the blood. So type two diabetics don't have the problem of a lack of insulin. It's exactly the opposite. It's the overproduction of insulin. And in conjunction with the overproduction of insulin, the desensitized, the the desensitivity to insulin. So it's becoming insulin resistant. And even though you have all this insulin in your body and you take all these insulin injections, your body is still saying, hey, um, give me more insulin because I can't absorb the sugar properly and the blood sugar goes all over the place. Yeah. So basically the mechanism gets a little bit broken, Mm -hmm, but by producing more insulin, the body is saying, hey, we're going to force it anyways and we're going to make this work. But over time, that's just a problem that compounds and gets worse and worse and worse. The body gets more resistant to insulin. And then by extension, it becomes easier for you to put on weight specifically in the form of body fat. So yeah, let's talk more about this idea of being insulin resistant and, um, and what that really means and how that really happens. Because I used to get really confused about like which one's bad insulin resistant or insulin sensitivity. So insulin resistant is the bad thing. Insulin sensitivity is the good thing. We want to be highly sensitive to the amounts of insulin our body releases. And if things are functioning well, as soon as your body releases insulin, the blood sugar will go back down. But if you have the case of um, higher insulin levels all the time, constantly being exposed to something will cause resistance to it. And this is really where the book explained this idea to me so straightforwardly and so obviously. Uh, This doctor, Dr. Jason Fung, compares it to... um, like a baby at an airport. So he says, you know, if a baby is at an airport and there's constant noise and all this crazy loud stuff going on around it, it'll adjust to the noise and it'll fall asleep, sound asleep. But if a baby's in a quiet room and then all of a sudden a loud noise happens, the baby's going to wake up and start crying, blah, blah, blah. But basically we become adapted to our environment and we, we become desensitized to the things going on around us if the thing is constant. Same idea with antibiotics, right? The way that we become um, 
protected against a virus is by taking a very small dose of that virus, exposing your body to a very small, minimal amount that it's able to fight off, therefore makes you resistant to the virus in the long run. So exposure equals resistance. This idea is so important when it comes to understanding how people become insulin resistant. You become resistant to insulin by being exposed to it all the time. So um, what causes constant exposure to insulin? Well, that you goes constant back. stimulation. Constant stimulation, yes. What causes insulin production? Like you said earlier, eating, right? Did we mention that earlier? I think in the very beginning when you defined it, yeah, you said you eat and then your blood sugar goes mm. up and then insulin goes up. Yeah, so probably the most sort of relevant cause of insulin of insulin being high these days is just the ease of access that we have with um, convenience foods and our tendency to snack. So if we're constantly providing the body with fuel or we're just not giving the body any rest between meals, mm-hmm. then insulin never really has the chance to rest either. It never goes down. Mm-hmm. We're constantly jacking it up by either putting food in the system or in some cases we're maybe not putting food in the system, but we're putting something that sort of approximates foods. Food like that a the diet body, soda. Yeah. yeah, diet soda, sugar-free energy drinks. Mm-hmm. Those artificial sweeteners can do the same thing and spike insulin just like regular sugar would. Mm -hmm. So if if eating causes a rise in blood sugar and a rise in blood sugar causes insulin to be released, frequent eating, frequent snacking, um, you know, starting from the first thing you wake up having a coffee at 5 a.m. with some sort of sugar and cream in it, and then having a dessert at, you know, nine o'clock at night before you go to bed, all those little, all those little Um, blood sugar spikes throughout your day are going to cause spikes in insulin along with it. And then those constant eating times and constant spikes of insulin causes the, you know, frequent, consistent, um, elevated high insulin level and therefore causes the problem of your body being more resistant to it because it's like, yo, I've got way too much insulin in the system. I got to protect myself against these constant incoming blood sugars and and constant stimulation. So I got to become more, more resistant to the insulin. I got to protect myself and therefore the receptors in your body sort of become, like Stephen said, broken in a sense that they're not as uh, efficient as they were before. Yeah. And then what happens when we become resistant? What happens to the sugar in our blood? It stays high. And what is that? Type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes <laughs> yes. and obesity. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. Like you, the, the way you look is not correlated to whether or not you have diabetes. Diabetes is defined as high insulin and high blood sugar. So having, or being insulin resistant, my bad. So it's, it's the problem of being insulin resistant and having high blood sugar that equates the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. So even before someone has gained weight and become obese or overweight even, you can be of regular weight and have type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. which is, yeah, crazy to think about. Yeah, it's not always the people that look like it. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably why it's more um, prevalent than we realize. So, you know, now that we know, okay, like constant eating provides constant insulin stimulation and that can lead to insulin resistance and none of us want to be insulin resistant because none of us want to be, you know, constantly in a fat storing mode. That's the thing with insulin. It's like we said in the beginning, it's a storage hormone. So it literally by definition prevents you from breaking down fat. If you're, if you're in um, a constant high insulin state, your body is not going to be in a fat burning mode. Those things go against each other, right? So 
the question is like, what are other things that raise insulin outside of food? And are there things that can raise insulin outside of food? And are there some foods that raise insulin more than others? And then in the end, what lowers insulin? What causes insulin sensitivity? How do we become, um, again, like more sensitive to insulin and less resistant to it? Um, why don't we start with the food since we're already on the topic? Sure. So what foods raise insulin more so than other foods? Well, carbohydrates certainly are going to raise insulin the most and the fastest. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I can answer that with what foods don't necessarily raise it as much. Fats are not going to have as much of an impact on your insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, protein actually surprisingly will to mm-hmm. a degree, but the, the source of the protein tends to matter. Um, but basically simpler carbohydrates are going to raise your blood sugar faster and therefore they're going to lead to more of an acute and more of a larger insulin response. And this is really why the low carb diet was born and why the ketogenic diet works and, um, and how it works is it does create you know, it takes out refined carbohydrates. It reduces carbs so much so that your body has way less insulin spikes and is put into a fat burning mode more often than not. So that's why that dietary um, <laughs> choice works is <laughs> because you're getting rid of the refined carbs. Not that all carbs are the same. So, you know, um, a whole unrefined carbohydrate in the source of vegetables or whole grain bread or, um, brown rice, a lot of these foods can be eaten in high quantities without causing a major blood sugar spike or insulin spike because they're digested more slowly. Yeah. And those are what we really call complex carbs. Anything Mm -hmm. that is going to take longer for the body to break down is going to take longer to get in the bloodstream in a form that can be used by the body. So insulin wouldn't be able to act on on an unrefined carbohydrate as quickly as it would be on a refined carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And then here's the kicker, you guys, is that um, protein also rises, also causes insulin to rise. So not, you know, protein doesn't raise your blood sugar. I just like spit into the mic. I'm so excited <laughs> to tell you this. I'm glad Pro- we don't share much. <laughs> protein does not cause a blood sugar spike necessarily, but it, but it does cause an insulin spike that mm-hmm. is pretty high and almost, I think, you know, I think I read some study that said whey protein causes a higher insulin spike than even white bread. It's because whey protein is one of the fastest acting forms of protein. Yes. And insulin is, like we said, a storage hormone. It also helps build muscle. So you wouldn't be able to build muscle unless your body had a way to store the protein and put it to use, right? So eating protein is also going to stimulate insulin, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the question is, you know, like there's no, there's no way we can eat really and avoid the insulin spike unless you're eating pure dietary fat, which is very rare, you know, unless you're eating like just oil or something that will cause almost no spike in insulin. Um, but outside of fat that the, there's no way to avoid an insulin spike, whether it's carbs or protein or a certain type of, you know, you think this food is really healthy for you. It still will cause an insulin spike. Yeah. So a high protein, low carb diet isn't necessarily going to be better, especially if if you're still eating with the same level Mm -hmm. of frequency, it's not necessarily going to result in lower insulin levels. It's Mm going to be likely the same. Yeah. So, um, you know, in right in line with that, I'll go ahead into the other side. What would reduce insulin? is the concept of fasting. So in the past, before, I guess I would say like the 1970s, I think, people mostly had three meals a day. There was no conception of snacking. Snacking is a very new invention. And uh, people usually wouldn't eat past a certain time in the day because, you know, 
it was dark outside, you go to bed and um, you wake up the next morning and you have your meal. So breakfast was literally breaking your fast, breakfast, break fast. And people would have a long period of time where they weren't ingesting anything and they weren't causing any type of insulin spike. Nowadays, we have, like I said in the beforehand, we have so many windows of which we eat and so many artificial drinks and sweeteners and gum and all this stuff. We're constantly eating something or being stimulated in some way. And that causes insulin to be constantly high. And that's where we get into the the problem of insulin resistance. So one way to reduce insulin levels would be to fast for longer periods of time throughout your day. Yeah, and this simply has the effect of sort of resensitizing the receptors in your body again by simply not overstimulating them. It's it's sort of like giving them a break from being abused almost. Yeah, exactly. Stop abusing your insulin receptors. Um, and that's, Is there a foundation for that? <laughs> no, but and this is hard for me to hear because I was like a huge proponent of the six small meals a day because as in a in the bodybuilding world that's what we promote is like the small constant meals and that makes sense because you know we're not necessarily worried about being insulin resistant we are training so hard and we're watching our calories and we do want to be building muscle so the the constant insulin in that situation is okay pre and post workout it's actually a good thing but. Um, you know, on the opposite, in the long term for, for health overall, like we don't want to be snacking and eating six small meals. We want to have the meal times and then you want to have your fasting times and you want those to be very distinct from one another so that your body has the opportunity to naturally cycle between lower and higher levels of insulin and therefore prevent being so desensitized to it. Um, so fasting, we talked about this a lot in our last podcast. Please go back and listen to that. Uh, and fun side note, that book that I mentioned last podcast, The Fast Feast Repeat, I think this week reached the New York Times bestseller list. So that author, super excited. I was listening to her on a podcast, talk about her book, and she was really proud of how popular it became and um, how much of an impact it had on people. So if you guys are interested at all in how to fast, how to do it the right way, how to make it easy, how to um, slowly build up your fasting skill set, go check out that book, Fast, Feast, Repeat, or go listen to our last podcast, which was called How Clean Is Your Fast? I believe I it was. Yes. The podcast right before this one. So, uh, and that's why these things go hand in hand was because after reading that book, I was recommended the obesity code. And um, that's really where the fasting became so popular and such a great idea was because it was really the solution for the, the diabetes epidemic and for reducing insulin. It's like the only way to really get your insulin down is to fast. Um, and you can fast for 12 hours, for 15 hours, 16 hours, 24 hours, whatever you decide to do, you can alternate between longer and shorter fasts, but do have times of, you know, times of your day where you're not putting anything in your body other than water or, you know, black tea, black coffee, something that isn't going to trigger any type of insulin response. Yes. <laughs> I kind of forgot where we were going with this. Well, okay. So the next thing we're talking about is like, is food the only thing that raises insulin? And this is a question that um, I actually had my audience ask me. They were like, well, what about stress? Because, you know, I've heard that stress causes weight gain and, and does cortisol and insulin, are they related at all? And the answer is? Is yes. Yes, Absolutely. And, um, and it's, it can be proven that there's a causal relationship between cortisol and insulin. Um, a lot of drugs that cause higher cortisol levels will actually 
uh, lead to weight gain. It's a very well-known side effect of, of multiple drugs that cause higher insulin levels to cause weight gain. So for example, um, one really well-known drug that's, that's um, assigned to people who have like severe allergic reactions or uh, severe inflammation is prednisone. And I personally have been on prednisone and I have experienced the weight gain side effects of it. Though at the time I didn't know it was linked. I didn't know weight gain was a side effect of taking prednisone, but prednisone is prescribed to very frequently a lot of people. Um, same thing with cortisol, cortisol shots, um, cortisone, cortisone. Yeah. That leads to directly higher insulin levels and, Another common side effect is weight gain. And another medication that causes higher, higher insulin levels and weight gain is um, the antipsychotic drugs. So if you guys have heard of olazepine, olazepine, gosh, olazepine, clozapine, yeah, right. uh, these are commonly prescribed to people who have uh, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or even depression. So you probably, you know, with all those things being as common as they are, have heard of these, these family of drugs, the olazapine and the clozapine families. And the, one of the most well-known side effects of that is severe weight gain and even obesity. So my grandpa was a schizophrenic and um, for a long time was prescribed all of these drugs and he became so obese and he ended up dying from um, obesity. But uh, it was just interesting to me because I didn't really know the relationship between these drugs and, um, and weight gain. And the reason why the weight gain happens is because the drugs constantly stimulate higher insulin levels. And the high insulin levels cause the storage of fat and therefore the weight gain. Yeah. And this is also why cortisol is associated with weight gain in general. Mm -hmm. Chronically high levels of cortisol, not necessarily due to like a traumatic event that happens once, but like low level stress in your daily life, constant exposure and constantly high cortisol levels as a, as a result um, lead to chronically high insulin levels. And sort of as we just discussed, that's going to make it real easy for your body to put on weight. Yeah. And it's funny because in the book, The Obesity Code, there's a whole chapter dedicated to cortisol and weight gain and why those things are linked um, or, you know, cause rather, like why they're exactly directly one causes the next is um, it, he talks about how stress in in the past and like, you know, ancient times would only be a short lived thing. You would have that spike of um, adrenaline and that boost would be the opposite of fat storing. It causes blood sugar to elevate. It causes your body to want to take action. And you're like this high, high action mode. That's what the stress causes. It causes you to be on edge and ready to fight or flight. Right. And part of that was obviously in preparation for whatever fuel was released to mm -hmm. be used. Yeah. So you would think that, okay, why? So if, if that is what cortisone Cortisol. Cortisol. <laughs> I keep getting them mixed up. If that's what cortisol does, why would it lead to higher insulin levels? Because insulin is fat storing, not fat burning. But like Steven said, what happens is the constant chronic high level stress causes that constant chronic high blood sugar. And the higher blood sugar causes your body to release the insulin to try and to bring it back down. And therefore, you know, the higher insulin in the long run and the weight gain. Yeah. So, and since these aren't one-time events where you're out running a line or something like mm -hmm. that, they're just your regular day life. You might be sitting at a desk when you're having these cortisol spikes. Mm -hmm. The fuel that's released is staying in the blood. It's not being stored. There's, there isn't a direct need for you to sprint or jump or whatever. It's, it's, 
just released in response to the cortisol spike. Yeah. And this is the sad fact, you guys. It doesn't matter what your diet is like. It doesn't matter what your exercise routine is like. If you are under chronic high levels of stress that you are not handling properly to bring your stress levels back down, you are never going to be able to, to see weight loss specifically in the abdominal region. And um, it's, it's going to be so hard for your body to to be in a fat burning mode when you're constantly stressed out. It's just the fact of the matter. And it's, it's proven by these medications that cause the same stress effect. And, um, and, you know, probably in your life experience, if you've been in a time of your life where you've been extremely stressed out as a student or, you know, at a job or, um, both it's, it's, uh, it's very hard to see weight loss in those situations. So, um, yeah, try to reduce your stress, try to manage your stress the best that you can, and that will reduce your cortisol and reduce your insulin. So another um, thing I wanted to touch on here, another form of stress is sleep deprivation, right? So we all know that lack of sleep is not good for us and it does not help our goals of losing weight. We want to make sure that we're sleeping and recovering and um, get allowing our body to rest, right? So sleep deprivation is one form of psychological stress. It's a form of torture. If people are not allowed to sleep, their cortisol levels will skyrocket. Even after one night of bad sleep, your cortisol can be elevated by like 100% is what this book was saying. And, um, and you feel it the next day. You know, If you haven't slept well, you're like, irritable and cranky and you don't really care about what you're going to eat. And uh, yeah, so sleep deprivation, you want to avoid that. And the interesting thing that they also mentioned in this book was sleep deprivation that is not stress-inducing. So if you are choosing to not sleep for a night or if you're doing so in a state that is meditative perhaps or if it's just you know a, a conscious decision you're making without any stress attached to the sleep deprivation, we do not see the same spike in insulin. And that's, yeah, something. I thought that was interesting too. Mm-hmm. That's a certain, I definitely struggle with um, sleep issues, but they're not stress, stress-free sleep issues. So yeah. And that's the, the weird thing is like, you know, it's not sleep that it's not lack of sleep that causes weight gain directly. It's, it's stress over lack of sleep. Well, it's the, it's the insulin. So right. Well, you're saying that if you're, if you're willfully choosing not to sleep, mm-hmm. then there is no anxiety, no stress over mm-hmm. the fact that you're not sleeping mm-hmm. and therefore there's not going to be as much of an acute cortisol response. Right. And so, therefore less insulin. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, like this has been an ongoing problem for my whole life. And it used to like specifically in college, it would stress me out so much. Mm-hmm. I'd lie in bed thinking you're not sleeping, you're not <laughs> sleeping, this is bad. Mm-hmm. And it would just make me more anxious. And I would, there were so many nights that I didn't sleep at all. But over time, I just got used to the fact that I was going to get as much sleep as I got. Mm-hmm. And over time, my sleep improved. But it's I still never slept through a night in my life. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I deal with it and that it affects me much less than it used to. Yeah. Well, good thing you exercise and ate well, right? <laughs> At least. Yeah. Uh, if you were constantly stressed out. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the things overall that we want to tell you guys today is like, what are the things that trigger high insulin is the constant frequent eating without fasting ever. It's the, the long-term chronic stressors in our lifestyle and perhaps sleep deprivation or relationships or a really stressful job or, um, 
uh, yeah, any other type of emotional stress. And then there's like, you know, the foods. So eating more processed, more refined carbohydrates is going to cause higher spikes in insulin. And then there are those, uh, those medications that maybe you're not even aware of that can cause higher cortisol and therefore higher insulin and therefore weight gain. Uh, just like fun fact, when I was taking prednisone, like I said, I had no idea that that was going to cause higher blood sugar levels. And the reason why I had so much exposure to all these um, insulin-inducing drugs was because like in the same six months, I had gotten in a really bad car accident. My car was totaled and I was uh, given a lot of cortisol shots. Did I say it right? Cortisone? Cortisone. <laughs> I said it wrong. Cortisone shots to get the inflammation down in my vertebra, my, sp- my upper spine and my lower back. So I had a bunch of those cortisol shots. Did I say it right? Cortisone? <laughs> I had a lot of those cortisone shots. And then I also was exposed to poison oak and I had a severe allergic reaction to poison oak. It was so bad. I didn't sleep for a week and I was hospitalized and like my entire body was uh, irrecognizable because of this, this poison oak. And they gave me prednisone to treat the inflammation and the itchiness. So I was you know, for like a month on that drug. And then pre earlier that year had been injected with all these other types of um, cortisol inducing things. And it was just like crazy because by the end of that six months, I was like, what the heck? My, my body has changed a lot. And uh, this was back when I was like early twenties or even maybe 18, 19. I can't quite remember, but uh, it was, it was interesting to read this book and realize, you know, the associations between the cortisol and the weight gain. You got it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that cortisol is the hormone, but I was thinking the thing that they shoot, I thought that was called cortisone injection, a cortisone injection. Cortisone. Cort- so I was saying, cortisone. right. You say cortisol. Oh, did I? When I was talking about being injected with it as a... Every time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I know what I'm saying. It's just not coming out right, apparently. But I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. I like they do. Okay, good. So yeah, if you can, try to avoid taking those types of corticosteroid drugs. Maybe you don't realize the side effects. Maybe the doctor doesn't tell you, but uh, it's best to, to avoid those if possible and you know, find alternative ways to get the same effects in more natural ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some stress reduction techniques that I've relied on is single nostril breathing. So specifically left nostril breathing. I plug my right nostril and I deeply inhale through the left nose and exhale through the left nose. And you do that for, you know, five, 10 minutes a day. It reduces your stress levels significantly. There's other types of meditation out there. That's just one that I've used and really loved. Um, and if you're not one for breathing through one nostril at a time, I'm in favor of <laughs> going for a few quick walks a day, um, particularly in the morning and the evening. And that helps me quite a bit. Yeah. Sort of just being out in nature and being alone with my thoughts. Um, most of the time, that's really sort of therapeutic for me. Yeah. As long as you're not on your phone and, you know, being distracted by other things, as long as you're being present, you can do mindful walking and that can be very meditative. Uh, another thing is puppies. You can pet puppies. That's what I did last weekend. <laughs> Apparently, like literally I was looking at the studies, 15 minutes of petting a puppy can reduce high blood pressure and cortisone by like a crazy amount. Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but it was, you know, significant. So if you don't have a pet, maybe I'm petting a puppy find, as someone we else, speak. find someone else's pet to, to love on and get your stress levels down. Um, some other really great ones, let's see, like drawing, anything artistic where, where you lose sense of time is really helpful. So, you know, sometimes we can't help but be in a high stress environment. Maybe someone in your family is sick 
Maybe you're in a really poor living situation, maybe a poor work environment. There are things you can do on your own to get those stress levels back down. And they're going to be so important for the long run of your your, um, weight loss goals, your health goals, and yeah, try to reduce your stress. And then fasting. Like fasting is such an ancient, such a simple idea. Uh, It's something that I've been doing for the past three weeks now. Every day I'll fast for at least 16 hours and I'll eat within an eight-hour window. And I've noticed uh, a lot of changes in it, which I'm going to be talking more about in the next podcast. But it's much easier than you think. And I'm excited to see over the next few months, I'm going to take another blood sugar test and see if it actually has reduced my average blood sugar levels. So I took an A1C test, which is just basically measuring the percentage of sugar in your blood cells. And I was like within a normal range, but not quite optimal. So I was like at 5.2 and optimal would be more in like the four to 5% region. Once you hit 5.7%, you're considered pre-diabetic. So I'm going to go back and look at my A1C levels in a couple months and see if the fasting hasn't actually reduced it. Cause I'm really curious. I think it will. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. And if it does, then, you know, I'll be talking about fasting a lot more on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I've actually got a couple clients that are going to be doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll track their progress and report back to you as well. Yeah. It's not something that is, is like, it's not a fad. It's not something you're going to do for three weeks, for eight weeks. It's not even a diet. It's not even a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's something that all of us should be doing. It's something that all of our ancestors, our (laughs) past older relatives have probably done naturally is fasting for at least 12 hours a day. Yeah, and it's something that you all can do. Maybe your lifestyle and your work is something that's a little bit of an unavoidable stressor, Mm -hmm. but we can all exercise more control over when and how we eat, and we can probably all get a bit more exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when and how we eat. I never considered the when before now, but um, now we're starting to look into the when as well as the what. (laughs) Yes. All right. So now that you guys all have a little more knowledge on, you know, what is insulin? How do you become insulin resistant? How do you, how do you stay insulin sensitive? Perhaps you learned a little more about diabetes. I hope that you can share this podcast with someone else who might be confused about the topic or someone else who's struggling with weight loss or reaching their goals. Maybe the problem is their insulin levels and yeah, you might be able to help them out. And stay tuned for next week where we're going to talk all about artificial sweeteners. And I'm going to tell you how I got the fattest I've ever been in my life on under a thousand calories a day. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You haven't heard this story. I haven't heard. No, I'm excited to hear it. So yeah, come back next week to learn all about sugar, real or fake, fructose, sucrose, and um, all the other types of different sugars out there. All the good stuff. All the goods and the bads. (laughs) <laughs> All right, you guys, have a wonderful rest of your day. Please for um, please remember to like and subscribe. We never say that, but I'm going to say it now. <laughs> Might as well start. Might as well start. After starting 25 now. episodes. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for listening. Always appreciate you guys tuning in, and we will catch up with you next Monday. Bye.